Hello, and welcome to the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, brought to you by North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association. I'm your host, Ben Stockdale. The 2019 long legislative session is nearing its end. Well, sort of. Senator Bill Rabin filed a bill that would have both chambers adjourn on July 22nd, but Speaker Moore seemed to have different plans and said that the House would be in session, quote, until we get a resolution on the budget. Given how budget negotiations have gone thus far, that could be a while. So it seems that the chambers are on different schedules. As far as the budget goes, what we do know is that the proposed electric vehicle fee increase that appeared in the form of a bill and in the Senate budget was absent in the conference report budget submitted to the governor, so we're glad to put that issue to rest. Unfortunately, the North Carolina Energy Centers, particularly the NC Clean Energy Technology Center, did not receive the level of funding that we were hoping for in the joint budget. So we'll see if these crucial centers get the funding that they need and deserve to help advance North Carolina's clean energy future. A highlight of the budget is an appropriation of $275,000 for a study of North Carolina's ports and manufacturing supply chains for offshore wind energy in the state. If you remember from episode 3 of Squeaky Clean, North Carolina has the largest offshore wind potential of any state on the East Coast. Keep in mind too that given the sheer size of the components for offshore wind projects, the manufacturing of these projects have to be done at ports near the proposed project, which means that North Carolina could start to lead the way in offshore wind manufacturing. As always, we'll keep you updated on these developments. The policy heavyweight that we've been tracking since episode one of Squeaky Clean is Senate Bill 559, Duke's rate hike bill, that includes securitization and multi-year rate plans. Since the last episode, Senate Bill 559 was amended and actually makes the bill worse. The new language in the bill allows Duke to collect over earnings from the multi-year rate plans and invest an equivalent amount in infrastructure projects, which in essence allows Duke to double dip its profits. Senate Bill 559 was calendared for a vote on the House floor twice, and both times it was removed, seemingly because there were not enough votes to pass it. Of note is an amendment to the bill that was proposed on the House floor by Representative Larry Strickland to turn Part 2 of the bill, multi-array plans, into a study, which would involve a stakeholder process to look at things like revenue decoupling, performance-based regulation, and multi-array plans. If these terms are unfamiliar to you, don't worry, we'll explain them in depth if this amendment materializes again. We have a very close watch on Senate Bill 559, so we'll keep you posted as things develop. And if you would like to see our full weekly policy update, you can become an NCSEA business member by visiting us online at energync.org. Clean energy. Our guest today is the project coordinator of the Blue Horizons Project. She took this role at the project's launch in spring 2018. Her experience includes 10 years of working in nonprofit operations and clean energy and energy efficiency program implementation in Washington, D.C. Her work with the Blue Horizons Project includes community engagement, outreach, and partnering with local government, business, and community organizations to promote energy efficiency and renewable energy. 
outside of work, she pursues her passions of getting outside with her family, cycling, and increasing her urban gardening skills. We are so excited to have her on the pod today. So friends of the pod, let's give a squeaky clean welcome to today's guest, Sophie Molinax. Sophie, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for this opportunity. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. Okay. Let's jump right into this. Sophie, tell us a little bit about the sustainability history in Asheville and Buncombe County. Well, Asheville and Buncombe County, I believe, have established themselves as leaders in the state um, in terms of clean energy and sustainability and climate resilience. They have recently committed to 100% renewable energy for both the city and the county. And that came after, you know, at least a couple of decades of community action pushing the government forward. So the county and city now both have fairly new sustainability offices that push forward sustainability, clean energy, renewable energy initiatives in all facets of county and city operations. Um, So that's fairly recent. And um, I definitely partner with those two offices very closely. Like you, I feel like you might know more about the history of sustainability. (laughs) Well, yeah, you know, I mean, so full disclosure to our guests, I had previously been living in Asheville and I was working uh, to try to get the city to commit to 100% renewable energy. And I kind of walked into the conversation that had already been going on for, as Sophie alluded to, decades. And I was able to work with a coalition of other environmental groups, Sierra Club, 350.org, Community Roots. A lot of organizations took part in this coalition that was pushing the city to commit to 100% renewable energy. And there had been carbon reduction goals that had been in place that the city had been achieving. So we thought the next logical step was to get the city to commit to 100% renewable energy. And they did that in October of 2018. And they just came out with the draft of the implementation plan. So, Sophie, what happened after that commitment was made? Right. So the city and county both committed to 100% renewable energy for city and county operations by 2030 and then 2042 for the wider community. And so part of that um, initial planning was hiring a consultancy firm called the Cadmus Group out of Boston to design the roadmap for how we're going to get there in terms of local action, state action, community action, um, and all the options that it'll take for us to get there. So recently, um, this past week, the city and county held a community stakeholder session to go over the draft of the implementation options. So it, it included options A through D, A, B, C, and D, and they will work in concert to get us to 100% renewable energy. What we saw is that no option alone will get us there. We have to pull and push all the levers that are at our in our power to be able to get there. That includes taking as many local actions as possible. It includes um, pushing our state general assembly to um, be more progressive on clean energy. It includes partnering with Duke Energy to increase their renewable energy in their portfolio. It also includes um, city actions, county actions, community actions, and possibly the purchasing of renewable energy credits, RECs. I was witnessing the community involvement, and I was part of the community involvement. How is the community driving this conversation? 
The community has been involved at certain touch points along the way, and some of the organizations that you mentioned, 350.org, Sierra Club, um, Citizens Climate Lobby, have been vocal advocates for very progressive parts of the clean energy or 100% renewable energy implementation. Um, the major forum in which to get community input happened earlier this week, and there were about 100 people there, which was very encouraging. And That was at the Collider? That was at the Collider. Nice. And, 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 and for those, for the listeners that aren't aware, what is the Collider? Ooh, the Collider is a... It's on, awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. It, it's a part co-working space, part event space, um, hub of entrepreneurs and organizations all working on climate. You know, you kind of touched on it. What was the impetus for the Blue Horizons project, and who was driving that conversation? Um, The Blue Horizons project was started in the spring of 2018 out of the Energy Innovation Task Force. And the Energy Innovation Task Force is a task force that comprises, um, that is comprised of the city of Asheville, Buncombe County, Duke Energy, and about a dozen other local businesses and community organizations, um, including New Belgium, the Chamber of Commerce, Green Opportunities, UNC Asheville. Um, and they all came together in 2016 to work on our region's energy use because our population is increasing, our energy demand is increasing, and we needed to find ways to address it without having to build new power plants. Essentially, Duke Energy had come to the table and said, you know, with your increasing energy demand, this is how we need to meet it. And it included extra transmission lines, um, extra power plants um, that our community, as we alluded to, was not going to be okay with. So it was a venue or opportunity for different stakeholders, diverse stakeholders with many different opinions and backgrounds to come together to work on clean energy and how we can avoid the need for new transmission lines, new power plants. So they commissioned a study with the Rocky Mountain Institute out of Denver, Colorado. Featured on the last podcast. And uh, they went to an eLab accelerator in 2016 and basically produced a report of a detailed report that included data about our region's energy use, um, our peak demand issue, which I'll get into later, and opportunities and strategies for ways to mitigate the problem of peak demand and our increasing energy demand that we have here. So it's a 100-page report. (laughs) The first two weeks I was on the job, I just was reading that off and on. It's dense, and I still go back to it for, you know, ideas and recommendations and data points that, you know, guide the work even today. Um, But that report came or that report recommended that we really need to drive hard on energy efficiency in order to reduce the need for new fossil fuel power plants and, you know, all the all the other infrastructure that Duke Energy had proposed. Let's talk a little bit about peak demand. What are some things, first of all, what is peak demand and what are some things that we can do to reduce peak demand? Right. Uh, Peak demand is the time of day that 
our energy demand on the grid is the highest. So in the mountains of Western North Carolina, where we're located, it occurs on the very coldest winter mornings, six to 10 mornings a year from about 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. And that is the time of day where you can imagine everyone is taking showers, turning up their heat, getting ready to go to work and school. Um, It's sort of like rush hour on the grid. And by law, Duke Energy, who provides our electricity, must supply and create enough generation to meet our peak demand. And what we were finding out of that uh, Rocky Mountain Institute report that I talked about is that in a few years, our population and energy demand will go up so much that we will not have the capacity to meet that peak demand. Um, So Our peak demand occurs on the coldest winter mornings, but the rest of the Southeast, interestingly enough, has their peak demand on the hottest summer afternoons. So we're kind of unique in the Southeast because of our elevation uh, and geography here. So some things that you can do to reduce our peak demand are to take advantage of a program called Energy Wise Home. Um, and that Ooh, is, I'm familiar with that. I think I used to work there. <laughs> yeah, ben could probably tell us lots and lots about that program and its effectiveness. But what it does is that it allows Duke Energy to install a little radio device on your hot water heater, your heat pump with heat strips, electric heat pump with heat strips, your AC unit. And um, what that does is it allows Duke to sort of Uh, reduce the energy used by those appliances during peak demand times. And what that does is it reduces our community's overall peak demand, and um, reducing peak demand directly prevents the need for building new capacity and new power plants. So it's a free program. Um, It's called Energy Wise Home, and it's free to participate, and you also get a bill credit depending on how many appliances you get enrolled. You're listening to the Squeaky Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast. Just also to, you know, full disclosure, before I was the host of the Squeaky Clean Energy podcast, I was going around knocking on doors for Duke Energy, enrolling people in the Energy Wise Home program. It was a great job. It was a great opportunity to talk to folks about energy and about energy usage because I think a lot of people are unaware of the tools that are available to not only increase energy efficiency, but to save money. And that was one of the great things about this program is that not only were we decreasing the strain on the grid, but we were also allowing people to get credits on their bills. So I think it's a great program. And I know it's available in more areas than just Western North Carolina. So make sure you can make sure you go online and search Energy Wise Home Program. Duke offers it in different in different service territories. So go check that out. It's a really great program. And again, it saves you some money. It allows us to manage the demand response for the grid, and it also brings us closer to the relationship that we have with energy, I think, in the household. So can I talk more about the RMI report? Please. So a key key finding of the Rocky Mountain Institute report 
um, was that we have available resources for energy efficiency and renewable energy here in our community. The problem is that there's a disconnect between the community knowing about them. So part of the reason for launching the Blue Horizons project was to get the word out about these dozen different opportunities and programs and resources that everyday citizens, businesses, um, no matter who you are, can take advantage of to help us move towards a clean energy economy and a cleaner energy future for Buncombe County. Sophie, can you talk a little bit about what it's like to be a woman in clean energy? We have a program at NCSCA called Women in Clean Energy, and that is really to elevate the voice of women within clean energy, which often is dominated by men who, you know, through no fault of their own, just comprise uh, a large portion of the clean energy industry. So what's been your experience as a woman in clean energy? So interesting. Um, I actually just learned about your Women in Clean Energy program. Um, Someone reached out to me about an event you had here just last week. And unfortunately, because I'm a newish mom, I couldn't make it because my daughter's bedtime is at seven and it was a networking event and I just couldn't make it. But I'm so excited to see that that's an initiative. Um, So you're right. Clean energy has historically and traditionally been um, a white man's realm. And as a young woman, I'm 32, uh, working in clean energy, sometimes I find that, you know, people don't necessarily take me that seriously. I also look kind of young. Some people think I'm still a teenager, but I promise I'm, you know, I'm a seasoned professional in clean energy. I'm also finding that as a woman, I have a unique perspective, and especially as a new mom, um, The primary reason that I decided to devote my life's work to environmental issues and sustainability is because I care deeply about, you know, my child, my future grandchildren, if if I'm lucky enough to have them, and the planet that we leave them. Um, It's just an incredible opportunity, I think, to really drive really hard to make our world the most sustainable that it can be in this time of climate crisis. So I am thinking about um, this wonderful resource called Project Drawdown. And Project Drawdown is a compilation of the 80 most effective solutions for climate change. And high up on that list is the empowerment of women and girls around the world. So I think that women play a particularly important and increasingly relevant role in clean energy and sustainability um, in this time. Um, The more that we invest in women and girls, the smaller the family size they have, um, the more they achieve higher education. And those are all good things that directly impact um, reducing our climate crisis. Sure. And I think that when I was really new in this role in the first couple of months, um, I recognized that the people in our community who are working on clean energy were primarily white and primarily older and primarily male. So I feel like I bring an important and new, fresh, fresher perspective on um, this kind of work. And, you know, it's really been a joy to partner with everyone I've been able to work with, but it is very much important to me to be aware of that dynamic. Um, and also how we can 
you know, promote this type of industry to as an option for a career for, you know, our younger female generation. What are you most excited about right now, Sophie? I am most excited about the community's increasing awareness and care and passion for clean energy. You That's ask, huge. Yeah, you ask the average person on the street in Asheville about if they care about clean energy, and the answer nine times out of ten is yes. Um, people want to move away from older technologies such as coal. Um, we really want to be able to have more choice in where we get our energy from. So I'm seeing a great shift in the community's desire to um, be able to control, you know, where they get their energy, and that's that's huge. Um, I foresee that this will um, enable more change at the state level and at the utility level, um, because what we found is that in the 100% renewables implementation draft, is that we're not going to get to 100% clean energy or renewable energy here in Asheville and Buncombe County without. Um, significant state and utility level changes in policy. For sure. We're working on it. Thank you for your work. (laughs) You're welcome. Thank you for your work. Most of the listeners of Squeaky Clean, not only are they energy nerds, but they are energy conservers and they are uh, good at energy efficiency. But what would be the number one tip you would suggest to our listeners in either energy reduction or energy efficiency? I think that if you're an energy nerd and you haven't had an, an official energy audit of your home or facility yet, that that's something that you should do. That can provide you with the hard data of your personal or business energy use and opportunities to conserve. So I've had one done on my home, had a blower door test done here at my 1913 little bungalow, found a lot of opportunity to increase the energy efficiency here. So slowly, as we can afford it, increasing um, air sealing and insulation based on that data from that report. So Get a professional energy audit. Get it. You can learn more about the Blue Horizons Project at bluehorizonsproject.com. And Sophie, you might not be on Twitter, but who is one person or group that everyone on this show needs to go follow? Man, that's tough. Yeah, so um, I am actually not on Twitter, but we do have a Facebook and Instagram presence. And someone I think everyone should follow is Greta Thunberg, who leads School Strikes for Climate. Very cool. Very cool. Sophie, it's been a great conversation. We've covered a lot. We were all over the place. I was so happy about what we got on this con- on this show. I think we got a lot of good content for our listeners. Thank you so much for being on the show. You were an awesome guest, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Ben, for this passion project of yours. It's been a joy to see it evolve and can't wait to hear more episodes. And there you have it, folks, the sixth episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy podcast, delivering the latest in clean energy right to your ears. 
got questions, shoot me an email at podcast at energync.org and visit our website to fill out our survey so that we can learn more about what you want to see covered on Squeaky Clean. Stay tuned for the next episode as we take a deep dive into an important topic for clean energy, rate cases. We're exploring this topic with none other than NCSEA's regulatory counsel, Ben Smith. Thanks again for tuning in and have a great day.